This year at the Olympics, there was a runner that was interviewed after his uh, final race. He was in the final group. And at the end of the race, after finishing, he was asked if he was disappointed uh, by finishing last out of the eight runners. And he responded by saying that that I really don't look at it as though I was the slowest runner in the race. I look at it as I am the eighth fastest runner in the world. Good perspective to have. You know, the Apostle Paul was that way. Uh, He was a man of perseverance and endurance and and focus. Paul had focus. He says in 2 Timothy 4, 7, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I've kept the faith. He's kept the faith. Paul was one who continually exhorted believers throughout the letters, his epistles, to not lose heart. To not lose heart. That's what we're going to be looking at this morning. So let's pray before we start. Father, we thank you just for the opportunity to study your word. Lord, it's our prayer in this place this morning that, Lord, not only would your Holy Spirit be working and speaking through me, Lord, but that he would also give uh, your people attentive ears to hear, and Lord, that they might be ministered to by the power of your Holy Spirit working in each one of them. And Lord, we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So, do not lose heart. Ephesians chapter 3, verses 13 through 21 is what we're going to be looking at this morning. So, the book of Ephesians. Paul has written this letter called the Epistle to the Ephesians. It's written while he's in prison in Rome, written to the believers in Ephesus and possibly Laodicea. Now, both of these, uh, the church in Ephesus and the church in Laodicea, were two of the churches that we mentioned in the book of Revelation, correct? So it's written for the Gentile believers in Ephesus for instruction, for correction, for edification, encouragement, and exhortation. So in this text here in chapter 3, starting with verse 13, Paul says, Therefore... I ask that you do not lose heart at my tribulation for you, which is your glory. Therefore, therefore, we always ask that question, what it's there for. So obviously, it's placed here because Paul has just communicated a truth that requires an action or a thought by those for whom the letter is written to. And in this case, the Gentile believers. Paul says, therefore, or for the purpose of reminding the Gentile believers of the mystery regarding them. And if you look back in chapter 2, that's what you see. Paul's talking about this mystery of the gospel as it, as it applies to the Gentiles. So flip over one page to Ephesians chapter 2 real quick, to verse 11. And it says, Therefore remember that you, once Gentiles in the flesh, who are called uncircumcision, by what is called the circumcision, made in the flesh by hands, that at that time you were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, have been brought near by the blood of Christ. So to the Gentiles, Paul is exhorting them, He's saying, do not lose heart, do not be discouraged, do not lose hope. Keep on keeping on. For what? What was going on? 
Well, Paul says, do not lose, lose heart even though you hear of my suffering, my tribulation. So Paul, having spent time teaching, uh, comforting, counseling, exhorting those believers in Ephesus, they became very close. And so in that, Paul, who is encouraging them, then goes to prison and they obviously hear of his tribulation. They hear of the issues that Paul's dealing with. And they're starting to lose heart. Their brother Paul, who had all these things to teach them, is going through a very difficult time. And so they're losing heart because of that. But Paul's saying, even though you hear of my tribulation, do not lose heart because it is for you. He says, I came preaching the gospel to the Gentiles that they might believe in Jesus Christ and Him crucified. And because of that, I'm in prison, in chains, for your glory, or so that you could know Christ. And I did this for you. But do not lose heart or be discouraged because of what has happened to me. Paul writes in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our tribulation that we may be able to comfort those who are in any trouble with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. For as the sufferings of Christ abound in us, so our consolation also abounds through Christ. So Paul is being comforted while he's in prison, while he's in chains, by God and in this situation. So he's therefore desires to comfort them. Same thing applies with us. So as God comforts us, we're able to comfort others, aren't we? So Paul, once again, is exhorting them to do not lose heart, do not be discouraged, do not lose hope. And now we'll see that Paul wants to comfort them in this letter with a prayer of intercession. So we start seeing as we pick up in verse 14 now that Paul is going into a prayer that he is praying for those Gentile believers in Ephesus. So let's take a look at that. Chapter 3 of Ephesians, verse 14. For this reason I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, from whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named. Paul says, for this reason, or because you are losing heart, being discouraged, losing hope, for this reason I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, Paul, in this posture that he's using in bowing his knees... You know, I don't know how many of us do that on a regular basis today because we've certainly uh, adopted a, a prayer life that's more just certainly praying where we are and whatever is going on in our lives. So we can pray standing, uh, you know, we can pray sitting, we can certainly pray uh, on our knees, we can pray laying down, standing up, whatever it is, we can pray in any posture. The posture of our physical bodies is not important, it's the posture of our heart. And we're going to see Paul's heart in this. He says, For this reason I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, from whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named. Paul starts with prayer. He's interceding, as we'll see, with an effective, fervent prayer for them. He's taking it up with the heart surgeon, if you will, of our faith, God himself. So for this reason I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, from whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named. Remember that Jesus told the disciples, when you pray, pray in this manner, Our Father who art in heaven, right? They asked, Father, 
how shall we pray? And he said, when you pray, pray in this manner. And he starts off with what? Praying to the Father. So we are to pray to the Father in Jesus' name. That dialogue that we have should be going to God in Jesus' name because of what Christ has done for us. So we have an audience with the Father because we have relationship with Jesus Christ. And then he says, from whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named. So the whole family in heaven and earth, that would be all believers, the church as we know it, all who have relationship with Christ. Paul is praying, if you will, across the ages for all believers, including those of us here today. So as we move forward in this prayer, now let's not look at it any longer from just the simple fact that he was praying this for the Gentile believers, but let's also look at it from the standpoint he's praying this very thing for us as well, us being a part of the believers in Christ. So in verse 16 he says, that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory, that he would grant you, that he would impart something to you, which is according to the riches of his glory. So, so often we pray out of our own lack of faith at times. You know, those popcorn prayers that we have. And we're just... I think that sounded like popcorn, didn't it? Uh, so we're praying out of our own spiritual poverty at times. But we must learn to pray on our belief in God's inexhaustible supply. God is able to supply our needs. He's not... It's not like we're praying just to the God who hears, but we're also praying to the God who answers and that can actually meet our need. In Hebrews chapter 4, it says, Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace in time of need. So Paul prays that God would give to us that which is necessary for us in our time of need. God would give to us, that's what's necessary for us in our time of need, according to the riches of His glory. What's that? Well, turn over real quick again to Ephesians chapter 2. You're not having to travel too far today. Have you noticed that? It's just like one page. I knew you'd appreciate that, Steve. So, So according to the riches of His glory, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 4, and it says, But God, who is rich in mercy, because of His great love, which He loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ, and raised us up together, and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come He might show the exceeding riches of His grace in His kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. The exceeding riches of His grace. Every one of us that claims Christ as our Savior have already experienced His exceeding grace, have we not? And every day we walk our Christian walk, we experience His exceeding kindness and His exceeding patience and His exceeding mercy. Those are the riches that God imparts to us. So the riches of God's glory available to us because of our position of being in Christ. We are the recipients of the riches of God's glory because we have relationship with Jesus Christ. So, let's review. It says, therefore I ask, chapter 3 again, verse 13, I ask that you do not lose heart at my tribulations for you, which is for your glory, 
For this reason I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, from whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory. Now, as we get into his prayer, we're going to look closely at it, and we're going to see six things that Paul prays for specifically. Remember, Paul is now interceding for us to the Father in Jesus' name, praying six specific things that will help us when we are losing heart, when we are being discouraged. These are going to be six B statements. So in the second half of verse 16, he says, to be strengthened with might through his Spirit in the inner man. Be, to be strengthened with might through his Spirit in the inner man. So point number one, be strengthened. Be strengthened. Paul is using two power words in this verse when he says be strengthened with might. Uh, strengthen, the Greek verb for strengthen means literally to become stronger. And with might, the Greek word for might is dunamis, which means power, force, capability. So Paul is asking with these two words used together that God would grant to us to be mightily empowered. Remember the Lord said to Paul when Paul was complaining about his thorn in the flesh. He said, my grace is sufficient for you, Paul, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. And then Paul later said, I will rather boast in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. So God wants to mightily empower each and every one of us. How? Well, the verse tells us, with might through his spirit. This means by which spiritual empowerment comes about is through his spirit. The location of this strengthening and empowerment is, as he says in this verse, in the inner being or the inner man. So in the inner man, prior to salvation, our human spirit is spiritually dead. We are cut off from God. We are lost. But when we experience salvation in Christ, we are given His promised Holy Spirit. Flip over a couple pages this time to Ephesians chapter 1. We're going to look at verses 13 and 14. So when we experience salvation in Christ, we are given the Holy Spirit. Verse 13, chapter 1 says, In Him you also trusted after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also, having believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. So we came to salvation in Christ and we received His Holy Spirit in us, that Holy Spirit of promise. In verse 14, he says, Who is the guarantee of our inheritance? until the redemption of the purchased possession to the praise of His glory. So, through His Spirit. From God's Word, we see that the Holy Spirit indwells us for a purpose or purposes. And those are to teach us, to counsel us, to guide us, to enable us, to enlighten us, to comfort us, to encourage us, exhort us, correct us, rebuke us. The list goes on and on and on. Our relationship with Jesus Christ, with the Holy Spirit in us, gives us access to the throne of God and helps us in our walk with the Lord. He is there to guide and help us. Even in those times when we're feeling like we're being rebuked, or corrected. Think back to when we were all young and you did something wrong. D- does anything come to mind? 
my mind's just buzzing right now, but uh, we did something wrong, and so our parents corrected us. They rebuked us for something that we had done wrong, but we learned from that, didn't we? Uh, you know, a little child, when they go to stick their hand on something, don't touch that, it's hot. Don't touch that, don't touch that, it's hot. What do they do? You know? And I know in their minds they're going, oh, hot, I got it. I know what hot means now, okay? So we remember those things that were taught by our parents, and we remember those things that God teaches us. And the power of His Holy Spirit might tell us that very thing when we're toying around with something, we're messing with something. Don't touch that. Don't touch that. You're going to get burned. You're going to get burned. Better stay away from that. Sometimes we heed His advice, and sometimes we don't. When we don't, we grieve the Holy Spirit because we're being disobedient. When we obey, great. We learn. We move on. So, God has given us this Holy Spirit to indwell us, to not only teach us and guide us, but also correct and rebuke. He is there available to us to give us whatever we need in our time of need. So God has placed in us a built-in mechanism, if you will, called the person of the Holy Spirit, to do His will. You've heard Pastor Jeff say many times that God's commandments are also God's enablements, right? That God's not going to command us to do something that He isn't also going to enable us to do. So that God says, do this or do that. I'm not going to help you, you're on your own. No, He's given us the capacity to actually carry that out by having the power of the Holy Spirit working in us. Sadly, though, it's just a sad testimony to all of us that sometimes the Holy Spirit in our lives can be the most underutilized resource that we have. Isn't that just sad? Because so many times we have that power in us, that power is available to us, and we choose to go on our own, we choose to do our own thing or go our own way when we have this resource built in us to actually accomplish that what God wants us to accomplish. So, We're standing in a situation where we've got a choice. And the choice would be, go this way or go this way. And the power of the Holy Spirit is leading this way. That's the way we should go. We should turn to Him and trust that He's going to guide us and take us where we need to go. So, Paul says here that He would grant you, according to the riches of His glory, to be strengthened with might through His Spirit in the inner man. To be strengthened. Point number one is to be strengthened. Then we see in verse 17 that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. That Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Point number two is be dwelling. Now you might say, well, wait a minute. You're saying that Christ may dwell in our hearts, and now you're telling me to be dwelling. Well, stay with me. I'm going to explain it. With Christ dwelling in us by His Spirit, we are in turn to be dwelling in Him. In other words, He moves into our dwelling place. So then we're in Christ, dwelling or abiding in Christ. There's this little book that was written in the late 40s, early 50s called My Heart, Christ's Home. How many of you, have you ever heard of that book? Great little book. We'll have to get some here in the bookstore. You'd really like it. And in that book, the author states this, Without question, one of the most remarkable Christian doctrines is that Jesus Christ himself, through the Holy Spirit, will actually enter a heart, settle down, and be at home there. 
Christ will live in any human heart that welcomes him. So Christ comes to live in our hearts. So our prayer, our attitude should be, Lord, I want this heart of mine to be yours. I want you to settle down here and be fully at home. I want you to use it as your home. I want to turn the keys over to you. I want to give you the title deed to this home so it's your home now. And I'm dwelling in you. Christ, when he comes into our heart, he's not to be put in a guest room. <laughs> well, you stay over here because obviously you're not going to be staying that long. You know, We don't want to be that way, don't we? but don't put him in a guest room. He's not visiting. He comes in and that becomes his home. He's, we should be dwelling in him continually, ongoing. In Ephesians 2.8 it says, For by grace we have been saved through faith. A continual, ongoing, keep having faith in Him, dwelling in Him, abiding in Him. In Hebrews 12, it says, Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. So, Paul is praying that Christ may dwell in our hearts through faith, or we might be dwelling in Christ through faith. So, in looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, great verse, we studied it in VBS this year. I learned so much from VBS this year. Why are you laughing? <laughs> VBS is like a, man, it's a, just a stronghold of information for those little kids and me. So looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who initiated our relationship with Jesus Christ? God did, right? And through faith, we have that relationship. So Jesus is the author of our faith, he began the work. He's the finisher of our faith. He's going to finish the work. And everything in between is us dwelling in Him or abiding in Him and continuing in faith. He says, He who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it. He starts it and He finishes it. And while we're here on this earth, walking in Him and with Him, we continue to walk in faith, dwelling in Him. So everything from the start to the finish we're dwelling in Him. He's dwelling in us in the power of the Holy Spirit. So back to verse 16, that He would grant you according to the riches of His glory to, number one, be strengthened with might through His Spirit in the inner man. And number two, that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Be dwelling. So be strengthened. Be dwelling. And then it says, that you being rooted and grounded in love. Point number three. Be rooted and grounded in love. So what are we to be rooted and grounded in? Love. <laughs> I love the way Paul writes. He just kind of answers things for us, doesn't he? John 3.16 For God so loved the world, He gave His only begotten Son, that whoever believes in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God so loved the world. So it all started with God, right? Him loving us. It's rooted and grounded in love. God demonstrating His love to this and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. It's started. It's rooted. It's grounded in love. And we know that He will never leave us or forsake us. In Romans chapter 8, it says, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? Yet in all these things we are more than conquerors through Him who loved us. 
For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Nothing can separate us from his love. So we are rooted and grounded in the truth that God loves us. That's point number three, to be rooted and grounded in love. Do you see as we're going through this in Paul's prayer, he's trying to give us these principles that not only is he praying for us, and we can actually pray for someone else in intercession, but they are lessons for us to be learned when we ourselves are feeling discouraged or whenever we're losing heart. We can turn to these passages and look at these points, these things, and be encouraged in the Lord by them. So back to verse 16, that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to number one, be strengthened with might through the spirit in the inner man, that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, number two, that you being rooted and grounded in love, number three, and now number four, that you may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width and length and depth and height may be able to comprehend, point number four, be able to comprehend, be able to have understanding. It's a continual thing, an ongoing thing again. Be understanding. Be comprehending. With all the saints. All the saints. With one another. How many of us in here this morning are one another's? We all are, right? One another, one another, one another, one another. If I go all the way around the room, we're all one another's. We're all the saints. Many Christians today, sadly, try to live in solitary confinement. They resist relating and sharing with one another. We must love one another and live in close community with each other. God exhorts us to do that. God commands us to do that. There was this man who refused to attend church. And when the pastor asked him why, he answered, well, I don't go to church because every time I do, they throw something at me. He said, what do you mean? And the man went on to explain. He said, well, when I was just a baby and my parents took me to church, the minister threw water on me. And then when I got married, the wedding ceremony took place in the church and they threw rice at me. And hearing this, the pastor quickly responded, oh... And if you don't go and start going to church soon, the next time you go to church, I'm afraid they're going to throw dirt on you. They're going to throw dirt. Yeah, you guys get it. It's a, he died, all right? Uh, Proverbs 27 says, As iron sharpens iron, so a man sharpens the, count, sharpens the countenance of his friend. Every one of us should have that person or person in our life that can sharpen our countenance. One that we can be accountable to, one that we can share with the praises and the rejoicing and the thanksgiving that we have in our lives and our walk with the Lord, but also the tough times we're going through. Imagine the setup here, that if you went to someone and, man, I'm just feeling down, feeling discouraged. And then you have the opportunity to pray for them, to encourage them, to intercede for them, that they would not lose hope, that they would not be discouraged. It was interesting. Whenever Pastor Jeff is gone and, and I have opportunity to teach, 
constantly second-guess myself on what I should be teaching. Because, I mean, let's face it, there's a lot there, isn't there? You know, open up and pick something. I mean, there's a lot there. So you have to be praying, God, what would you have me teach? And even as I got into the end of the week with this particular teaching, I'm going, God, I just don't know. You know, it just seems like maybe it's not coming together quite like I'd hoped. Maybe you're thinking that right now. I don't know. <laughs> but, but uh, and then in a period of like two hours, I have contact with three different people. One of them said, well, I'm just feeling discouraged. Hmm. The other one says, man, my, my, my heart's just down. I'm just not, I don't know. I'm, I'm just losing hope. i overwhelmed by everything. And the last one, I'm, I'm feeling discouraged. And it was kind of like, well, Lord, maybe, you know, I'm not the smartest guy, but it was kind of like, I think maybe he's trying to tell me something here. I don't know. Maybe I should move on with this particular teaching. So uh, we are to have someone who can lift our countenance, someone that we're accountable to, that will not only pray with us to encourage us, but will also hold us accountable. Someone that will say, hey, I think you're moving in a direction you shouldn't be going in. I'm going to be praying for you. So uh, I pray that each and every one of you seek that type of person out in your Christian walk because they're just so valuable to us. Hebrews chapter 10 says, Let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another, and so much more as you see the day approaching. So... Uh, This particular verse certainly giving us something to think about when it comes to attending or being in fellowship somewhere in church, assembling of ourselves together. But you can do that with just two people. You can do it with one. I guess you have multiple personalities or something, I don't know. But (laughs) anyway, Paul's saying here that we should be understanding and and we need to benefit from each other but that we also encourage one another in our perception of how, God, how big God is working in our lives. What did we see in that verse? That we may be able to comprehend or have understanding with all the saints what is the width and length and depth and height. So these are words that we would use to describe the size of something. Whatever measurement we take of God's love is wider, longer, deeper, higher than we can measure. Um, a couple years ago in VBS, <laughs> I like learned a lot from VBS. I, we uh, ha- had a teaching that we were talking about on this very particular verse, and uh, we gave the kids these little rulers. And basically, the gist of it was that the kids could take these little rulers, and we'd send them home, and they could measure something, like measure the leg on the table or, or the chair or whatever, and say, yeah, that's about six inches. God's love is taller, you know, or higher. This is about this. Well, God's love is wider. So everything that they measured, they could then in turn say, well, God's love is deeper, wider, higher, uh, longer than any of these things. So if I say God is this big to me, and you say, well, God is this big to me, we're able to share with one another the way God's worked in our lives, right? As we compare the awesome work that He's done in our lives, you know, this is what he did for me. Oh, yeah, well, this is what he did for me. And we can encourage one another in that. Did you know that there are over 59 one another commands in the New Testament? One another 
commands. 21 of those say that we are to love one another. So 1 Thessalonians tells us, Therefore comfort each other and edify one another, just as you are doing. Being accountable to one another in our faith in Jesus because of what he has done in us. So when we're feeling discouraged, when we're losing heart, not only can we find counsel in the Lord and in the power of his Holy Spirit, but we can find it in others as well as the Holy Spirit working, is working in them. So, back to verse uh, 16, that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened, number one, with the inner man, th- through his spirit in the inner man, that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, number two, being rooted and grounded in love, verse uh, number three, Uh, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width and length and depth and height, number four. And now number five, it says to know the love of Christ which passes knowledge. Point number five, to be knowing. Be knowing. It's an ongoing knowing or ongoing knowledge or ongoing understanding of the love of Christ. However, it says which passes knowledge. So this love that Christ has for us, if we really focus on that, it's just amazing. Uh, I've found myself many times that I know that Christ loves me because I know it from his word. I've experienced it in my life. It's just that, man, I don't know why. (laughs) Do you guys ever feel that way? I mean, look at you. (laughs) Look at me. Why? (laughs) Why? It makes no sense, but he does. That's why it's hard to understand that. It, it passes knowledge. Um, we might cry out, Lord, man, how deep is your love? How deep is your love? I really need to learn. You guys don't remember that, the Bee Gees? Sorry, kind of had a flashback there. But seriously, how do we measure Christ's love? The width, we look at the verse before it and we see the width, the width of his love, because it's freely available to all, not just some. The length of his love, because he knew us before the foundation of the world. The depth of his love, because he pulled us out of the deepest sense. And the height of his love, because we are raised to the heavens to be with him. In 1 John 3.16 it says, By this we know love, because... He laid down His life for us. He died for us, for each and every one of us in this place. To, so to try to wrap our minds around that, I, I don't know about you guys, but those things just drive me crazy. You know, it's one of those times when you just, brain freeze, brain, brain explosion. Um, I've experienced those a lot with all sorts of things. But uh, we know that He laid down His life for us. For us, Why? Because he loves us. His love, which passes knowledge, it goes beyond our understanding or knowledge. There are many things that we can feel that that are beyond our comprehension. Think about a little baby. A little baby knows that his mother loves him. But can the baby comprehend that? No. Not any more than we can understand that amazing love of Christ. But we know it to be true because he's promised it in his word. He's written it on our hearts and he confirms it in us each and every day. So we are to be knowing the love of Christ. 
And as we meditate on His love, we see it's beyond our understanding. And we are in wonder and awe of His love for us. So point number five is to be knowing His immeasurable love. (laughs) We can't understand it, but we are to be knowing His immeasurable love for us. Back to verse 16, that He would grant you according to the riches of His glory to be strengthened with might through His Spirit in the inner man, be strengthened, that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, be dwelling, that you being rooted and grounded in love, be rooted, may be able to comprehend, be comprehending, be understanding. Number five, to know the love of Christ, which passes knowledge. So to be knowing the love of Christ, that it's immeasurably more than we can ask or think. And then it says in verse 19, finishing that verse, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. So point number six is be filled. Be filled with all the fullness of God. What is all the fullness of God? Colossians chapter 2, verses 9 and 10 says, For in Him, Christ, dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily, and you are complete in Him, who is the head of all principality and power. So, let's, just, let's paint a picture here for a second. Since we all here believe in the Trinity, we all know that God, the Holy Spirit, Jesus are all one. They're all God, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. All one. If... The Holy Spirit comes and dwells in us. God himself is actually taking up residence in us. Is is that right? And because of that, he is also imparting to us the riches of his glory, as we looked at earlier, but the fullness of God. We have that capacity in us to have the fullness of God, to be uh, recipients of the fullness of God. So, If we go back to that little book I told you about, My Heart, Christ's Home Again, since Christ has the title deed to my home, my heart, he then is to have access to all the rooms, right? How many of you here have sold a house before? A few of you. Did you sell the house and go, it's all yours, except that room over there, I'm going to keep that key and you can't go in there. Does that make any sense whatsoever? They're going to be like, what? why? I bought the house. Why can't I go in that room? You just can't. There's, I just don't want you to go in there. There's things in there you don't need to see. I don't want you going in there. I'm keeping the key. No, we can't do that. We are to turn over the keys to the places we have kept locked away from the Lord. In that house that we've given him the title deed to. It's all his now. So we have to unlock the areas that we've had closed to his influence. He wants to clean them out and fill them up <laughs> with himself. So God wants to fill our whole house, our heart with himself to overflowing. My garage is filled to overflowing. <laughs> I only have a one-car garage, okay? So I've there's a reason for that. If I had a two-car garage, at least half of it would be completely clean. Right. So God wants to fill our whole house, our whole heart with himself to overflowing for the purpose of being used by him. If he's filling us to overflowing, then we're going to be useful to one another, are we not? We're going to be able to intercede for others in prayer. We're going to be able to encourage them 
the power of the Holy Spirit working in us and taking over our lives. So what did Paul's prayer start with? Let's go back and read from verse 13. Therefore, I ask that you do not lose heart at my tribulations for you, which is your glory. For this reason, I bow my knee to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, from whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with might through his Spirit in the inner man, that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width and length and depth and height, to know the love of Christ, which passes knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. So what are our, 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 our B's here? Number one, be strengthened in the Holy Spirit. Number two, be dwelling in Christ. Number three, be rooted and grounded in what? In love. Number four, be able to comprehend the measure of God, which is immeasurable. You with me on that one? <laughs> Because as I measure God, I realize He's immeasurable, but I still should be measuring Him to constantly be aware of the fact that He's immeasurable. Number five, be knowing. Be knowing the love of Christ, which is immeasurable. We're right back to the same thing again, aren't we? And number six, be filled with the fullness of God. Now Paul closes this prayer with a doxology, basically communicating the greatness of God. Starting from verse 20, let's read that together. Now to him who is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above all that we ask or think, according to the power that works in us, to him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. So he's able to do exceedingly, abundantly. Other translations say immeasurably more all that we ask or think to him be the glory in the church by Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever amen amen let's pray father we thank you that this morning we have had the opportunity to be encouraged in your word we have had the opportunity to see that we can encourage one another lord we've had the awesome opportunity just to Get a better picture of of who you are, the God who is immeasurable, more than we can ask or think, exceedingly, abundantly more than we can ask or think. Father, we knew that when we first came to you, as you reached down and touched us with your love, and we became yours. But Lord, as we gather in a place, this place this morning, with a group of people of this size, we are aware that there very possibly could be someone here that hasn't made that decision to open up their heart and let you move in and take over. And each one of us that are gathered here, Lord, that have relationship with you could share with them the wonderful, awesome things that you've done in our lives. No, it doesn't mean that we won't have or won't experience troubles and trials and tribulations, but yet you've given us this built-in mechanism of the Holy Spirit in us and dwelling in us to help us overcome these things. 
So that's a message we can share with those that don't know you. So if you are here this morning and you have not given your life over to Jesus Christ, who desires to move into your heart, your home, take control, and that you could experience all the fullness of God, the riches of His glory and grace, I pray this morning that you would just listen to the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is a threefold relationship in that before we knew the Lord, the Holy Spirit was in place to woo us, to encourage us. Come on, check out Christ. Take a look. Come and see. And when we respond to that, and we accept Jesus Christ as our Savior, without whom we would have no hope for salvation, we could not experience that everlasting life and everlasting love that God has for us with Him in heaven. But by accepting Christ, that wonderful truth is imparted to you and you can experience His grace and His mercy in your life. Lord, I just pray that you move in the heart of anyone.